Georgia's DBHDD is urging people to store and lock away all medications to prevent theft and keep them away from children and pets. Old medications can be disposed at Dropbox locations. Dropbox locations can be found at opioidresponse.info. Thank you for joining us for another Political Rewind. I'm Bill Nygut. Um Big night tonight, uh, vice presidential debate. Of course, last week, uh, the presidential debate between Donald Trump and Joe Biden uh, made big, big news, uh, not because there was uh, any substantive conversation that went on between the two, but because it became a complete spectacle. Uh, there was no serious analysis. Uh, it turned out to be just a shout fest. And uh, according to most of the polls, President Trump really lost ground uh, because he was blamed for most of the disruptive behavior in that debate. And, and so in some ways, I think a lot of people are looking to tonight's debate uh, between uh, Mike Pence and Kamala Harris as one where maybe we'll hear some substance that will help uh, us understand the difference between the two candidates, but also... Um, you know, uh, Brookings did a story about this, a preview piece about this yesterday and called it the most important vice presidential debate in history. That history goes back 40 years uh, because, of course, we have two older men who are the candidates for uh, president in both parties. And so, you know, Mike Pence and Kamala Harris uh, standing second in line for su- succession, uh, they're there's more reasons to want to make sure that they have what it takes if they would need to step into that position. So we're going to talk about the um, debate tonight, what we expect to happen. Um, We're also going to talk a little bit about a story that uh, the uh, jolt had yesterday. David Perdue has an ad on the air right now that promotes this false notion that John Ossoff won the endorsement of the Communist Party. It's based on a very old uh, a story, but they've revived it, and we'll talk about what it means and why there's some interest there. Uh, also, we're going to talk about Atlanta attorney Lynn Wood, who's always been a somewhat controversial character in the state of Georgia. He's now representing Kyle Rittenhouse. He and a co-counsel, Kyle Rittenhouse being the young man who shot and killed two people and injured a third in Kenosha. And uh, he, is, he is now suing Joe Biden for defamation, uh, and we'll talk about what that's all about. That, too, is a really a strange story. So that's on the agenda for today. Here's the panel. Greg Bluestein, political reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, is with us as he is on Wednesdays. Greg, thanks for being here today. Glad to be here. We've got a packed lineup today, don't we? Yeah, and we got tons to talk about. Yeah, there's no question we do. Um, State Representative Mary Margaret Oliver is with us today as well. She, of course, is a Democratic representative from Decatur. And Mary Margaret, I think the beginning of this week was a very important week for you. The New Yorker Festival has begun this year virtually, started with a a talk by Anthony Fauci. And I know how sorry you are you're not in New York as you always are for the festival. But are are you watching it virtually? I'm looking forward to Malcolm Gladwell this evening, but I do miss being there. Manhattan is such fun in October, and I miss it. Yeah, you and my daughter, who misses being home in Brooklyn and instead is sheltering in place in Greater Decatur. <laughs> but thank you for joining us today, Mary Margaret. Thank you. And Edward Lindsay, 
is w- with us as well. Former state representative from Atlanta, now a partner with Denton's, Edward, the world's largest law firm. How are you holding up, Edward? I'm holding up just fine and uh, look forward to an to a entertaining and uh, informative show. We'll try to keep it a little bit more in the middle of the lanes uh, as opposed to what the uh, presidential candidates did last week. <laughs> we always try to do that thing, and, and you all help us do that uh, whenever you are on the show. Greg, um, do you think that uh, Brookings uh, overstated it when it said the most important presidential, vice presidential debate in history, or not? Um, I think they're on track. I don't know if it's the most important in the, in the history of, 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 of American democracy, but at least in modern history, because you've got two septuagenarian candidates, one who's recovering from the coronavirus, uh, one who would be uh, the oldest uh, first-term president to to be sworn in if he wins. Um, So there's going to be all sorts of, um, uh, and both of the vice presidential running mates um, have aspirations to be president probably of their own. Um, Both of them, uh, Mike Pence would surely be a candidate for office in, in 2024, and, um, and of course, Kamala Harris ran for uh, president herself. So I think the, the, the stakes are very high. Um, and uh, I think that I, 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 given what last week's chaotic debate and the, the, the fact that there might not be two more presidential debates, that raises those stakes even higher. I'll, I'll take a slightly contrary view here. Um, Yes, it will be the most consequential vice presidential debate in, in modern history. That's because none of them before us have been very consequential. Uh, I do expect it to be much more substantive. Uh, I do expect both of the candidates to act much more appropriate, that, that general um, backgrounds and demeanor. Uh, I do believe that it has great long-term uh, impact or consequence, given the fact that who is at the top of the ticket, both of these are likely to be uh, either president or presidential candidates in four years from now. However, will it make any real difference to this uh, campaign and to this election? I really don't think so. I think at the end of the day, you've got two very dominant individuals between uh, the former vice president and President Trump, and folks are going to vote for those two and then hold their breath what happens next. Mary Margaret, I I want to pick up on what Edward just said and take it a slightly different direction and get your take on it. Um, It strikes me going in that um, although Republicans have thrown a lot at the Democratic ticket, that they're being influenced by socialists, they want to take the country far to the left, Uh, Kamala Harris is is too liberal, she's the most liberal member of the Senate, they've thrown all this stuff at her and at Biden. Um, But but the only really significant issue so far, I mean, those are fine, and they'll find a way to make those points, but, but COVID is, the, is now the number one issue in this debate tonight, especially because of the president and all the White House people who are now uh, coming down with the disease. And, and Mike Pence is the, is the head of the White House Coronavirus Task Force. So, so what I and I want to give this to you, but so in many ways it strikes me that that the one way this can be consequential is if Pence is not able to somehow turn the scenario right now on, uh, that the White House is not doing a good job on the virus. 
The debate is consequential for exactly the reason you speak. The White House recklessness and failure to follow any kind of uh, medically advised protocols has resulted from a super spreader event, probably the Rose Garden last week, um, makes them exhibit A of everything you do not do. And the chairman of the task force is sitting at the table how he justifies, how he responds to basic questions like what kind of uh, tracing are you doing in the White House today? But there's another reason that it's consequential. Um, Kamala Harris is the first woman on any platform this high in presidential elections, uh, African-American woman. And for people like me um, who come through a long set of trenches and being told more than once, although it was a long time ago, uh, not in recent years, that uh, so-and-so male senior partner really can't take you to lunch because it wouldn't look right. I mean, that was very much a part of my early career. Now I'm watching Attorney General of the largest state in the country debate a radio uh, host. Uh, his job, uh, Vice President Pence used to you know, host a radio program. So the opportunity for the contrast of professionalism and substantive debate and true law and order issues, true law and order issues in our modern world uh, can be set forth in this debate at a time where I think most reasonable people think we are close to a very significant health crisis and close to a very significant crisis of a man in the White House who is not in any shape, form, or fashion acting in a rational manner. You know, Greg, uh, we, we it, just to talk for a couple minutes about what each of them brings to this debate, um, we know Kamala Harris, of course, a former prosecutor, can be a pretty withering uh, interrogator. We've seen her on the uh, Senate Judiciary Committee uh, uh, in, interrogate uh, uh, nominees for various positions at Supreme Court uh, nominees, uh, as well as other positions that the White House has put forward. So she can be very, very tough. Um, but she's also dealing with a president who is still sick, even though he's pretending he's healthy as can be. Um, and and she and she doesn't want to find herself uh, being labeled the way Trump was last week as somebody who was so aggressive that uh, she didn't give her opponent a chance. I mean, I do think she's got something of a tightrope to she tonight, and then we'll talk about Pence. Yeah, her challenge is to draw a line between how Trump is handling the coronavirus pandemic um, to the, the growing outbreak in the West Wing, um, but without humbling Trump because his own prognosis uh, is still like his own path to recovery is still really unknown. Um, he's still he's still suffering from this disease, um, so he she can't she can't open herself up to Republicans to to attacks that she's being callous and that she's she's um, you know she's she's taking advantage of 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 the president's diagnosis. Um, so it, it is a fine line that she has to walk tonight. Edward. Yes. Yeah, yeah. You know, when it comes to, to, to Sandra Harris, uh, there, there, there are a few things that, that, that need to be kept in mind. Yes, she uh, can be very aggressive, and, and she showed that in the debates, particularly in the debates when she attacked uh, 
team of Vice President Biden, which was probably her, her most effective attack line that she had in the debate. However, over time, that didn't wear well with, with voters. Uh, let's keep in mind that she had to actually drop out before the first primary because uh, through the course of the various debates, her popularity dropped uh, significantly. So she's got to be able to, to a certain degree, rehabilitate herself. Also, to pick up on something Mary Margaret said, um, I'd like to see them, and yes, it's, it's a valid point to raise what Mary Margaret said about, you know, the super spreader and what was done within the White House. But as Mary Margaret said, uh, the vice president has been the point man on the coronavirus response by the administration. I'd like to see, for the first time, some very substantive discussions, both on what the, what the, the administration believes they've done right and that they've gotten right, and and see for the first time some very substantive discussions on what the Democrats believe that they can do better. Uh, we really haven't had that kind of serious exchange. We've had barbed mm -hmm. back and forth. But I am kind of hoping that these two more serious-minded people take on that. And one last quick point. Uh, and while, yes, he was a, uh, a radio uh, host, uh, he was also a five-term congressman and a former governor of Indiana. So I think he brings some stuff to the debate as well as Senator Harris does. I think he brings uh, some PR skills, uh, but his PR skills to me in this time where we have so little faith in the credibility of the White House, his PR skills to kind of be, uh, uh, I don't want to use a too derogatory a term, but his, his following everything that the president wants him to do and making him look not particularly strong or independent or thoughtful in a separate in a way to separate himself. Um, he is, cannot justify, he cannot justify in any rational way the White House reckless behavior. And how he answers that, I'm very curious, without stepping aside from being 100% kind of, yes, Mr. President, you're a strong guy. We really love it when you salute the reporters and uh, parade around in some kind of weird film edit on the balcony. Um, how can he set himself aside as a responsible leader and not be critical of being a head of a task force to prevent super spreader events in the White House? It's, it's, I don't see how he meets that challenge in any substantive way this afternoon, this evening, even though that would be very welcome compared to the last debacle of a debate between the president. And um, Greg, I've got to get. I apologize for interrupting you, Mary Margaret. Okay. I'm very sorry. Um, I got to get to a, a, a break, Greg. But but uh, everybody, you know, when the doctors came out and talked about the president's health, uh, when any member of the administration goes before the cameras uh, in, in, in any way, what we're, of course, always told is they are speaking to an audience of one, the president of the United States. And that's true. Is that what where Pence is tonight? Is right. Pence going to have to be uh, thinking about the fact that he's a, he's a, uh, uh, talking to the president and stating the president's positions? Or is he going to have to break free of that a bit? I mean, he can't separate himself in any way from the president. So, yeah. Um, and he's going right. to have to deliver the president's messaging that the virus, as we saw in the, in the tweets uh, this week, that the virus should not dominate American life, that Americans shouldn't live in fear of the virus. At the same time that more than 210,000 Americans have died from the disease 
and you know uh, hundreds of thousands or more are suffering from its consequences. So uh, he, he's got a very tall task ahead of him. All right, uh, we got to get to a break. As you all know, for the past week or so, uh, GPB Radio has been in a pledge uh, period. We only do it twice a year. And as you also know, if you listen regularly, uh, our management team has said they want you to have as much political rewind as possible, even while we're uh, doing pledge. And so we continue to do a very modified version of it on this show. Today, for instance, I'm going to throw it to a pledge break. It's the only one we'll have. Uh, during political rewind today, we we need to ha- do it because your support is so essential to our continuing our work. So we're going to take just a few minutes to give you a chance if you haven't donated yet to do it now. If you have, thank you so much. Here is how you can get involved if you're not. Thanks for listening to Political Rewind. If you like this show, you'll also like Georgia Today. It's a daily podcast from GPB News, bringing you compelling stories and in-depth reporting that you won't hear anywhere else. Join me, Peter Biello, for this quick and convenient way to get the best of GPB News' extensive coverage of the topics that matter to you, delivered directly to your device every weekday afternoon. We're back on Political Rewind. Uh, One really quick note, because a couple of you have pointed this out on Facebook Live or Twitter and other social media platforms. You've said, well, isn't why are they raising money? Isn't GPB a state authority? Yes. Uh, And state money does go for our education programs, which we send out to schools across the state. It goes to pay for some of the infrastructure here. But you need to know all of the programming that we present you on GPB Radio is paid by listener contributions. We get no state funds for that. That includes the salaries of my Political Rewind team and myself. So uh, just to clear up any uh, confusion you might have about that. Greg Bluestein uh, is with us, uh, Edward Lindsay and Mary Margaret Oliver. You know, Greg, we have some favorite pairings on this show. And uh, I got to say, Edward Lindsay and Mary Margaret Oliver, we always love it when the two of them are on. So I'm really happy that you two are with us today. Let's, uh, Greg, um, let's move on beyond the vice presidential debate uh, and talk a little bit about uh, state politics. Uh, the, the um, I don't know if you, I frankly don't remember if this was your byline or not, but Senator David Perdue is now um, saying that John Ossoff won the endorsement of the Communist Party. And there's a quote that uh, he gave to a group that he was talking to. It's just outrageous. This is how crazy it is. This is not just radical. This agenda is very dangerous. As a matter of fact, my opponent is actually endorsed by the Communist Party in the U.S., if you can uh, believe it. Uh, That is a very, very serious accusation, although it seems to come out of the past somehow. Um, What's the truth behind that? Yeah, and so he he made that claim at a Faith and Freedom Coalition meeting that I was at on Friday, and he also said it on a radio interview the day before. Um, The Washington Post has still does sort of their version of PolitiFact um, that rated it four Pinocchios, which is the worst rating you can get. Um, They interviewed the Communist Party of USA's um, spokesperson, um, who said flatly the Communist Party does not endorse him. It does not endorse candidates of other political parties. <laughs> Posting an article on Facebook does not mean it is an endorsement. 
um, basically what they what they had done was uh, they they tried to tie a a story that was written in the, in a communist party organ uh, online organ about the 2017 special election and try to pass that off as an endorsement of of Ossoff. Um, and I'll, I'll add too, the Purdue campaign is not backing down again. And they sent a, uh, a a press release that that evening after this uh, our our Joel Ida Rand saying um, the Communist Party is rushing to Assad's aid, so they are they are sticking to their claim. Edward, the Washington Post fact checker article closes with Purdue should be ashamed of himself, and he should apologize. That's about as strong as it gets from the fact checkers there, Edward. Yeah, yeah from the Washington Post. Uh, the fact of the matter is, in heated campaigns or, or heated debates, uh, a lot of accusations are made. Uh, I can tell from my personal experience, uh, depending on the situation, I was called a partisan lapdog, a rhino, a socialist, or a fascist, depending on who was attacking me. Uh, the Purdue campaign is relying upon not just the article in 2017, but also a more recent article in which the communist organ uh, does uh, uh, attempt to assist Ossoff and speak up to him. You know, but, you know, Ossoff's not a communist, uh, but he is a very liberal Democrat. And, you know, we need to sort of move to the issues. At least, quite frankly, uh, the Purdue campaign is focusing on where he stands on issues and, and sort of tagging him with, with, with a, a, a label. By contrast, quite frankly, and, you know, the Ossoff campaign has made accusations that are flatly false and, quite frankly, about alleged criminal activity uh, by the by Senator Purdue regarding stock trades. When uh, when the both the uh, Justice Department, the Securities and Exchange Commission, and the Senate Ethics Committee have all cleared Senator uh, Purdue and have said that he did nothing wrong. So you know. Uh, we are entering into what I call the silly season. Uh, I would like to see uh, all candidates across the political spectrum to focus on where they stand on issues because we have very serious issues ahead of us. Uh, and I would like to see folks move aside from these sort of debates, particularly, quite frankly, when you cross the line from arguing about where you stand on an issue to an allegation, a very false allegation of alleged criminal conduct, such as what uh, John Ossoff did. That was very, to me, very disappointing. Now, can I understand my friends on the Democratic side are, are upset with the, with labeling uh, John Ossoff as a communist, but let's let's get down the middle and start arguing debates, but arguing issues, uh, and particularly lay aside these kind of, of, of claims about alleged criminal conduct, which John Ossoff knows is false. Mary my, Margaret? Question, my question to the Republican leadership, the responsible Republican leadership, is do you care about credibility at all? Um, and I, I will raise that question in tonight's debate again with uh, Vice President Pence, uh, the head of the task force, and make whatever he's going to say about tracing in the White House. Credibility is at an all-time low in the White House in my long political career. I've never seen anything like this before. Uh, even Eric Erickson is talking about over the weekend a total drop in uh, polling uh, in relation to Republican uh, candidates. Where are the values of credibility? To call yourself a tell the hun or to call your uh, each other 
uh, communists. I didn't even know the Communist Party existed anymore, and I'm certainly glad to hear that they don't uh, endorse candidates anywhere. It makes <laughs> politicians look bad. And one of the struggles I've had in my long political career is how do you make people think positively about politicians? The, the TV ads this year have been worse than I have seen. They, they're more offensive to me uh, on all sides. But when you get up there and really think that calling yourself a tell of the hunt is a value, is a value, then I think that there's a consultant crowd has taken uh, a path that is simply not respectable to the American people. And I'm very, very uh, sorry uh, for the tone that these debates are, that these ads are taking. And then brings us back to tonight. Well, tonight's tone evidence responsible leadership. Where's the Republican leadership? My question is. And and, and I would add, quite frankly, a question as to the Democratic leadership for the exact same reason that I just finished stating. Uh, when you've got ads running that are patently false, uh, that bring in, that, that allege that someone whose greatest crime is that he chose to put himself up for public service uh, and to be labeled a criminal as a result of it. Uh, I, I'm offended by that, and quite frankly, I, I don't disagree with Mary Margaret's concerns. I think both parties lose credibility when when they allow consultants and other folks to make outlandish uh, claims against an opponent, and quite frankly, tar someone for the simple crime of putting themselves up for for public service. And what I'm simply looking for here is is an amen on the bipartisan side that both sides need to stop and 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 step down from that. The newspaper yesterday. Okay, let me. I mean, I know. Newspaper Go yesterday ahead. reported that the Senate races in Georgia, which are going to be incredibly important in the national scheme, we all know that, depending on factors we're not in control of today, are going to spend a hundred and fifty million dollars. Well, I found that incredibly shocking and discouraging because it just means that this political consultant crowd, political consultant crowd, is in charge of enormous piles of money. And I don't believe that their credibility is, is matching in any way what the American people want at this time of crisis when the President of the United States' irrationality of action and what he says is so patently disturbing. So, Greg, Greg, I want to get you back in here. Um, Mary Margaret uh, says she's never seen anything like the ads that we're seeing today. The spending is un unbelievable. It's a staggering figure, so put that to the side for the moment. But, I, I mean, political advertising has been getting coarser and coarser for decades now, and I'm, I'm curious whether you whether it's Ossoff, Purdue, whether it's uh, uh, Trump, uh, Biden, whether it's uh, uh, Karen Handel's uh, spots, which show a city blowing up in flames and it's Lucy McBath's fault. But do you think that we're at a point where the commercials are, are, are more offensive, uh, more outrageous than ever before? No one's running to the middle, right? I mean, we're not, we're seeing, and we really saw this in sharp contrast in 2018 when both Stacey Abrams, but more, even more so Governor Kemp, ran to the party's right, which is why you had the shotgun ad and all this. And because the Senate race, the Senate special election is essentially a Republican primary, at least on, on one side of it, um, 
that's why you're seeing these Attila the Hunt ads, the, the the Hunt ads right? That's why you're seeing this, this these, all these provocative ads that further put both Doug Collins and Kelly Leffler to the party's right flank. Um, my, my, I guess another issue that, that I've seen that is just keeps on coming up is it doesn't matter how many times a candidate um, can deny an accusation made on a TV ad, they, 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 those ads still run. John Ossoff once said on a radio interview that he wants to tie um, funding for law enforcement agencies to a law enforcement to, to metrics that that law enforcement agency must meet, which is basically what Joe Biden's position at the time was. And ever since then, Republicans have run ads saying he wants to defund the police, even though. And every time I you know write about those ads, I have to say falsely claimed because John Ossoff does not want to defund the police. He said it ten you know 150 times since then. Um, but that's the nature of ads these days. They uh, ad smiths from both parties can can kind of twist a statement like that and turn it into uh, the far left or the far right flank. Mary Margaret, uh, uh, Ed, Edward, uh, point, Edward is uh, offended by the ads that the Ossoff campaign is running, in which they essentially um, say, and I haven't seen the, I'd love to look at the language right now as to whether they've called it criminal behavior or not. Maybe they have, but Mary Margaret, he makes a point that the ads which say that that uh, uh, David Perdue used insider information about how serious the virus is likely to get to uh, trade in, tr- do trades on stocks that ended up benefiting him financially when the rest of the country didn't have this information. Um, and, and the question becomes, uh, Kelly Leffler has been accused of the same thing in advertising. And we, we, we t- tell me how you react when you see those ads. Um, <clears throat> Senator Perdue and uh, Senator Leffler are super rich people, and how they manage their stock portfolio is probably not done personally with me. I'm I'm not that rich, but I don't manage mine either. I mean, I I don't pay that day to day attention. So when uh, Perdue and Leffler deny that they had any personal engagement uh, in how they buy their stocks, that's you know that's certainly credible or possible to me at the same time, whoever's managing their stock funds knows that this virus is coming. You know, they're making projections based on very sophisticated financial stuff that uh, Senator Perdue and Senator Leffler. The ads are offensive to me. Now, the question is, and I, this is what I would be curious to have a debate about if people could be honest, do the political consultants want them to be offensive? Do you want to say that you're a till of the hun because Mary, Mary Margaret and people will be talking about it on the radio? Is the most offensive ad the best ad from the perspective of the consultant and the product that they're selling? I mean, there are a lot of people who uh, opine, of course, they don't can't probably prove this in, in many ways, but Governor Kemp is, is governor because he took a risk with some fairly offensive ads. Shotgun governor is what he is labeled with now. Um, when that ad came on and when the big truck ad about picking up immigrants came on TV, I was offended. I thought you, but it worked. And so the political consultant crowd out there is selling their product. They have infinite amount of money to sell it, and uh, they might admit that the more offensive I can be on television, the more I can do to shock somebody, um, then the better my product is. Is that the strategy in 2020? And compare that to the reality of what's going on in the White House. It's a very, very scary dynamic to me. 
Well, Edward, and, let me uh, give you a quick chance to respond. Yeah. Um, first off, I think Mayor Morgan's absolutely right uh, when it comes to political consultants. Uh, and quite frankly, uh, a lot of folks in the media, not this station, uh, but other, other forms of media, uh, have learned that outrage sells. Outrage mm -hmm. is what you remember. Uh, and if you can say something outrageous that, that, that holds people's attention, uh, you move up in the, um, in, in the polls, unfortunately. Uh, the danger that we have here, uh, as George Bernard Shaw said over 100 years ago, the danger of democracy is that people may get the, the government they deserve. And, and it's up to us, the voters, to pull back uh, from a, a lot of these more outrageous claims. And let me also correct myself. He wasn't accused of being a criminal. He was, he was, uh, he was right. accused of corruption. Okay, I'm sorry, but I sort of equated the two together. But I want to want to make sure that that's, that's okay. Clarified. That's okay. But but my point okay. my point being is that May Morgan is absolutely right. We we've got to pull back uh, as as voters because we're the ones who are responding positively to these ads. Uh, we're the ones who are choosing to vote for folks or not vote for folks based on on particular outrageous ads. All right, I want to get to our final break of the show. But before I do, Greg, real quickly, uh, what Mary Margaret said about the consultants, we, we know, having dealt with consultants over the years, we do know at times the glee they take in the right. outrageous ads they're about to put out. I will tell you, I remember very clearly back when Sonny Perdue was running against Roy Barnes when Roy was running for re-election, the call I got the night that they broke their king rat commercial and in fact built a giant rat which they paraded through buckhead on the back of a pickup truck and i got a phone call from them saying you're not going to believe that this is the funniest thing you've ever seen right. it was outrageous it was offensive uh and it worked greg and, and so the consultants it. do get a kick out of this they yeah. do it's like setting off fireworks or something right and and they get a lot of earned media they get a lot of free media attention because of that and that's what this Attila the Hunt ad was. That's what Governor Kemp's shotgun ad was. It, you know, it might have only run, I don't know, you know, a couple thousand times on uh, on different uh, metro Atlanta markets, but it got a ton of, uh, of free attention to their campaign. All right, I got to get to a break. This is only a 30-second break, and we'll be right back with more on Political Rewind. Greg Bluestein, um, Mother Jones Magazine ran a uh, terrific piece uh, that it, it talks about uh, the two counsels who are representing uh, Kyle Rittenhouse, the young man in Kenosha who shot and killed two demonstrators and injured a third and was arrested, of course, for uh, having done that. Uh, but Lynn Wood is now representing him, an Atlanta attorney. Um, Lynn Wood is an interesting Character. He's had quite a controversial uh, career. He represented Richard Jewell in his defamation suit or his libel suit against the Atlanta Constitution years ago. Uh, but he's also now representing the couple in St. Louis who brandished their guns at a Black Lives Matter uh, protest march. Um, but now he and his co-counsel are essentially saying that uh, Kyle Rittenhouse was a hero who went into his community to protect it against lawless, the lawless forces of the left, 
And they actually have gone on to say that uh, radicals on the left are plotting a violent overthrow of the government. Um, you know, that's moving beyond the, <laughs> the work you expect from an attorney who's going into court to defend a client, Greg. Yeah, and let's be clear, too, that, that Wood, Lynn Wood is not some fringe attorney. He might have fringe views right now, but he's not no. really a fringe attorney. He's worked for Rick Perry. He's worked for Herman Cain. Um, he met with President Trump earlier this year, um, but but he has he has taken a flight on social media and has has garnered uh, you know a huge social media following from people who who believe the QAnon conspiracy theory, who who believe in these fringe beliefs that there is some sort of plot to overthrow the government, and and I'll add too that he recently announced Menwood recently announced he he's going to sue Joe Biden for libel. Um, against against yeah. his client Kyle Rittenhouse because of that shared video, um, so Lynn Wood has become a major player in this sort of under uh, this underbelly um, of, of, of conspiracy theories about about plots to overthrow um, democracy. Here. Uh, immediately after the Rittenhouse tragedy and criminal activity, there was an explosion on social media, let's protect Rittenhouse, let's protect this young man and his right to own a gun. Uh, of course, there was no legal opportunity, no legal path for a 17-year-old from one state to take an assault weapon over to another state. There is no legal authority for a stranger to come in and assert uh, the, his authority to protect somebody else's property. It's all a totally false narrative coming out of the gun everywhere crowd that guns have to be protected everywhere because you want to carry them everywhere. Um, it's offensive to me, again, money in politics, money in messaging, money in consultants, that there was an immediate opportunity seen by the gun everywhere crowd, and particularly the protection of assault weapons by minors. Uh, Rittenhouse is a minor and not an adult. Uh, illegally carrying a weapon across state lines illegally, and that's what they want to assert as a positive message on his behalf. The interesting or more complex issue is um, Wisconsin and Georgia and Texas are the last three states in America that uh, prosecute all 17-year-olds as adults. The other 47 states require suggest um, that a 17-year-old a is a minor for prosecution, which takes us into this two-state business. His mother putting him in, a, in her car, taking him with the assault weapon across state lines, changing the law in the state about the criminality. All of that is ridiculous. And Lynn Wood's participation... Edward, I think... Edward, I think all of us probably have dealt with Lynn, Lynn Wood at one time or another. Uh, <laughs> uh, we know him uh, well in this community. Uh, what do you think about the way he has uh, uh, de dealt, decided to deal with the defense of Kyle Rittenhouse? I'm fascinated by it. And I'm fascinated that, that 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 he would be someone who who uh, Lynn would would choose to pick up the banner. Um, I'm disturbed by anyone who who, as Mary Margaret points out, is a minor with an assault weapon who crosses state lines uh, to uh, and, and doesn't have adequate training in how to use uh, such a weapon, uh, uh, you know, when it comes to maintaining security. Uh, what happened was was horrible. 
uh, in the criminal justice system, I hope will take care of it. Um, and I found it fascinating that that's, that's the person he chose to, to uh, he, meaning Lynn Wood, chose to take up. Uh, Lynn Wood has done, I think, some good, uh, a lot of good, and a lot of lawyers like Lynn Wood in terms of holding uh, powerful entities, uh, including the media, accountable when they cross the lines to libel. Uh, but on this one, and picking up this particular cause to celebrate today, I, I must admit that I am absolutely mystified. All right. Um, we're almost out of time. Greg Bluestein, one final thing uh, that I'm interested in. Uh, the uh, 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 There's been some concern that the Faith and Freedom Coalition Conference, which took place just last weekend uh, in Cobb County, uh, it, it may have been exposed. The, the, the virus may have hit that uh, conference because Mike Pence was there. It was mm-hmm. following the Rose Garden ceremony for Amy uh, Coney Barrett. The virus may be closer to home than we know. And there are people in the Faith and Freedom Coalition, uh, the AJC is reported, who are very worried about that right now. Yeah, and I was at that that that, that event too, or two two of the three days of the conference, Wednesday and Friday. Um, um, so I, I interviewed a lot of people. I was wearing a mask and, and keeping social distance, but I interviewed a lot of people at those events, especially uh, the Friday event, which was hours after uh, we found out that Trump had was diagnosed with coronavirus, who weren't wearing masks um, who, and who weren't socially distanced. Uh, there was only a handful of masks at that ballroom in the Cobb Galleria Center. Um, and by the way, in the strange quirk, it was the exact same room where President Trump visited in September 25th yes. um, for his event courting yes. African American voters. Um, but no, there is a there is a there is a growing concern. There are several lawmakers um, who addressed the crowd um, without masks on. There was one lawmaker, Marsh, Senator Marsha Blackburn, who addressed the crowd from because she had been exposed to to President Trump. Uh, days earlier, so she she addressed the crowd from like a back room, uh, uh, you know, v- via video conference. But about two or three hours later, um, she was with Senator Kelly Leffler in a coming restaurant um, up in up in um, North Metro suburbs um, without a mask, and she said that she had gotten tested, rapid tested, and got a negative result. I've uh, I've got enough time. I know both Edward and Mary, and Mary Margaret are going way in. It's got to be very quick, Edward. We're really short of time. Bottom line, you can't rely just on tests. You got to wear a mask. You got to maintain social distancing. You got to wash your hands until we get this virus under control. Period. That's all I'm. Mary Margaret, you get the last. I'm word. looking. I'm looking forward to responsible leadership based on medical advice, and which we do not have right now at the top of our government. Got to go. Thank you. Good night. Mary Margaret Oliver gets the last word in today's show. Edward Lindsay, thank you. Greg Bluestein, thank you for being with us. We're going to give you one last chance to make a, a contribution to GPB Radio uh, at this point. And so we're going to say goodbye just a couple of minutes early. We'll be back tomorrow with a look back at how the debate went tonight. In the meantime, I'm Bill Nygut. Take care. Stay healthy. Wear a mask. And please, go out and get a flu shot. See you all tomorrow. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. 
NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts.